0: morning, Mountain States. How's everybody doing today? Last week, as we started this series in Philippians, we talked about how living our lives as if God is in control. Even when all around us seems to be out of control, knowing that God is in control gives us comfort. Knowing that God is still in control gives us peace and really ultimate joy. This book of Philippians, as we talked about, is really the book of joy. How to have joy in the midst of trials. How to have joy when all around you seems to be falling apart. Not that you have to be happy about everything that's going on. Not that you have to be happy every minute of every day and put on a fake smile. None of us like fakeness, right? We all want people who are going to be honest and trustworthy and truthful with us. But at the same time, having joy in the midst of stuff that makes you found is possible. And that's really what the book of Philippians is about. How you can have joy in the midst of all these areas. When, you've, uh, when, when, all, when your car is still running down the road correctly, when you've got food in your pantry, when you've got enough food to sustain you through whatever you need, when all of this seems to be going well, your kids are all behaving as they should be. Right, kids? So they're all gone. So that's good. So We can talk about them. Um, when all those things are going right with us, it's easy to keep that smile on our faces. When all your grades, those of you in school, when all your grades are A's and B pluses and B's, and you don't have to bring that, that grade home to you, that paper home to your parents and go, Mom, Dad, I got a C or a D or... You know, you don't have to bring those things home and, and face the trials that your mom and dad are going to give you, right? It's easy to have joy and to appear joyful when all is going well. But as we learned last week, God is in control and living as if God is in control is really a testimony to the world around it. It's not about me, it's not what I can do for myself, but it's about God is in through me. And here in chapter 2 as we kind of branch out from that today, we're going to look at another area for the next couple of weeks of what it means to be a servant. And, what, and how that applies to this whole area of be, being joyful in our lives, how, what it means to be a servant and to exemplify this servant spirit, and how, what it means to live a life of servanthood. And none of us... I know you think, I work at a job 9 to 5, 40, 50, 60 hours a week. I'm a servant, I'm a slave to my boss. Now, Guys, if you're married, you know you're a servant and slave to your wife, right? No amens there. We all are servants and slaves to somebody. And here in in Philippians chapter 2, Paul's reminding us that it is possible to have joy even in those times when we don't want to. We understand that God is in control and that in our heads that's easy to say, but yet theology and life can collide together and that's when it's hard to put things into practice. We learned how To trust God in the outcome, not in just the events of our life. To receive the suffering, not to run from it. But the challenge today as we look at what it means to be a servant is to understand this one simple fact. Don't look out for number one. Don't look out for number one. The world tells us that me, myself, and I, we are the three most important people in the world. That everything that affects me is what I need to how I need to live my life. Whether it's politics, my job, my family, my relationships around me. If it doesn't affect me, myself, and I correctly, the way that I want it to happen, then I need to push those toxic things out of my life, right? But really, when it comes to Scripture, we need to compare all these worldviews with Scripture. And what Paul is telling us here, the very first thing, is that serving one another really brings us true unity and joy. Learning to serve one another, not just those within our, the body of Christ, but learning to serve those within our family, those within our, our neighborhoods around us, that brings us real unity for the church. Remember, Paul's read the beginnings and the startings of this church. And he that those who are persecuting, those who are coming against you, those who are so frustrated and angry with you apparently, that you need to serve them and reach out to them and love them regardless? That's the change that Christ makes in a person's heart, so that we can do that with joy. Look with me in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 this morning. Paul is writing to them, and he says, that even when everything goes well, consider these words. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and any sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now those are hard. That's a hard thing to and desires and meet the needs of others around you. I mean, look at those first few statements, those if statements. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort and love, if there's any participation in Spirit, if you're having affection. Those are really not just if statements. Those are if these things are true. Really, he's saying that because these things are true, because these things are valid in our society, because these four statements are effectual in our life, then do this. So if, there's any, if we take any encouragement in Christ, what do we get to know about Him? What have you learned about Christ? If we take encouragement in Christ, we get to know Him. This is the God of the universe, right? This is the creator of the universe. And we get to know Him personally. Are you encouraged by that? He's saying, you should be encouraged by Christ. You should be encouraged by your relationship with Christ. We have this intimate relationship. He's given us faith. He's given us Him. We have Him, and we have then found Him. We should take encouragement in that. Knowing that the God of the universe knows me, and I can know Him. Intimately. Not just like I know the food I'm going to eat this afternoon on my plate. It's just like I know my dog. Not like I know those chickens in my backyard. But we get to know God intimately. This is the creator. Not just some random person you meet on the street. Not only do we get to have encouragement in Christ, but because we have comfort from Christ's love, because we have comfort in his love, his love fills us. We get to experience his freedom and forgiveness. Think of what you get to experience because of Christ's love, because of what he did for us on the cross. Paul says, because you have this intimate relationship with Jesus, you get to experience the love and the forgiveness of God in your own life. You get to, in turn, turn that around and make an impact in others around you. You get to turn around and make an impact in, in all those around us. See, the love that flows from us through us into these other relationships. We, I get to experience the forgiveness of Christ. All my sins are gone, my sins have been washed away all the sins I've ever committed in the past, and all those I've ever going to commit in the future are already gone in God's eyes. We live here in this world for such a short time. Eternity is so much further. But that short span of 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, we do a lot of things that are bad, haven't we? We've... Committed sins after sins after sins after sins. We've gone against God's will for our lives. We've looked at things, done things, said things that are really not honoring to God. Not, we've not set ourselves apart from what God wants us to be. That's a lot in that short amount of time. And God says all of that is wiped away. All of that is wiped away because of God's love for us because of what he did for us on the cross. See, he loved us so much that while we were still in our sins, he died for us. 2,000 years ago, he looked down, the, down the, through return, through cre- the timeline, whatever I'm trying to say there. He looked down the future. He saw me. He saw you. He saw my girls. He saw all of us. He said, I love you so much that I'm going to lay my life on the line and die on the cross for you. I'm going to give myself are we not encouraged by that? Do we not get to experience that love? And because of his love, we can then, his love flows through us into others so that we can love others regardless. Even those who we despise, even those we have a hard time loving. Is there anybody in your lives that you just have a hard time loving? There's me. Some of my relatives, some of my old high school buddies, college buddies. I ought to keep my hand going. You know, there's people I run into. All, I have a hard time. Sometimes my kids. But, there are, but because of God's love in me, I can love those who are hard to love. I can love those around me. That God brings across my path, I'm like, God, are you sure? He says, Yes. Because there are many times I'm sure it's so hard for God to love too. I've messed up so many times. And yet he forgives me, he forgives me, he forgives me, he forgives me. He says, I love you, I love you, I love you in spite of how rotten you are, of how many times I've gone against what he wants me to do. In spite of myself, God continues to love me. And because of that, I can go out and love others as well. Thirdly, it says, if there's participation in the Spirit, because we do have participation in the Spirit, and when the, union, the Spirit unites us together as a family. The Spirit of God unites us together from all different backgrounds, all different languages, all different heritages. Some of you are local to Colorado, the rest of us are all foreigners. You love us anyway. But all, this, all this baggage that we bring into this fellowship this morning, we are united together in Christ. We are united together as the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, with God as our Heavenly Father. The overseas, and they, we are working together, partnering together. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We worship together today in the Spirit. We don't worship in my spirit or in your spirit. Before we opened in worship this morning, We prayed and asked the Holy Spirit to come into our midst and to move among us. We prayed that God would receive the offering that we're bringing this morning through the worship songs that we sang this morning, through the speaking of His Word, through the prayer time, through the offering of our tithes and offerings at the end of the service. All those things are worshiping in the Spirit, partnering together. The Spirit unites us. And then if having the affection and sympathy toward others, because we have affection and sympathy with others, with Christ as the source of our compassion and mercy. He is the source. Without Him, selfishness abounds. Without His presence in my life, pride abounds. Without His presence in my life, I do what I want to do. But because Christ is in my life because his outflow is to have that of compassion and mercy to those around us. The natural outflow of my life is no longer thinking of me, myself, and I and my needs, my family's personal needs. It's now looking at everybody around me and saying, how can I be a blessing? How can I give and show the love of Christ to others? How can I let that compassion and that mercy, that affection and sympathy flow to the world? He cares for us. And so we also ought to look into the interests of others because He cares for us. That ought to be a natural outflow of our lives into the lives of others. So those if statements, actually, they're, I mean, they're, they're pretty powerful. If there's any encouragement, if there's any consolation, love, if any fellowship, if any affection and mercy. But like I said, that's not if. There is. It's kind of a, uh, He says if, but it's, it's, this is the way it is. Because of these things, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having unity together, having the same love in Christ, united in spirit, partnering with him, intent on one purpose, being compatible with one another. If those things are true, if these are true statements that Paul lays out there, how then would do we take that and we combine that with what he's teaching here, how then do we serve God? one another. Look at verse 3 and 4. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now there's a word in there that none of us likes. Humility. We think of a slave. We think of somebody who's meek and got their eyes down all the time. We think of somebody who's an introvert who doesn't want to speak or talk. We don't like that idea, but you know what the Bible says? It says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. He desires the humble to come in. in the whole Bible, the whole the whole world, from all of since the creation until now, those people, if he hadn't, learned humility through leading sheep for 40 years for 40 years he was the prince of egypt right you've all seen the movie the prince of egypt for 40 years he had to run away tended sheep out in the desert for 40 years he had to learn how to be humble then god brought him back to lead his people out of egypt 40 years in the wilderness In Greek culture, humility brought that same kind of idea that we kind of have. It's the idea of a slave lowering his eyes or being subservient. You know, he's got the ring in his nose or the the iron collar around his neck, and he just follows his master around, and that's the idea of being humble. But yet the early church took that idea of being humble and elevated it. They elevated it. Because, see, we're supposed to pursue Christ-like humility in our lives. We're to pursue Christ-like humility in our lives. Think of this this way: humility is like the top soil in your garden. Every year before we plant our gardens, we bring in more dirt. Is there not already dirt in our and dug up? We bring that fresh dirt and we pile it on top, and then we till it in. We ground it, grind it into the old dirt because knowing that that new dirt is going to bringing more nutrients into that soil. So when we plant those seeds, hopefully they're going to pop up and sprout if we can keep the squirrels, rabbits, and my dog away from them. Humility is like that. It is the good soil from which all other good virtues in our lives spring. That good soil. Think of the plants that pop up once you put that good soil in there. All throughout Proverbs... Luke chapter 14, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 5, Colossians chapter 6. The Word of God t- lifts up the humble person. He lifts up that humble person. He says, this is what you need to try to aspire to. Humility, humility, humility. Not that you walk around like this, but you see yourself in light of how God sees you. So not only do we pursue Christ like holiness in our desire to serve one another, we also let forgiveness rule the day, rule the day. Forgiveness should rule the day. And this is very closely related to humility. Luke chapter 23, thirty-four, Jesus exemplified this on the cross. He says, as he hung there? He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing, right? He hung there on the cross after being beatily, brutally beatily brutal, brutally beaten. Whipped. His beard ripped out. Nails pounded into his hands and feet. He hung there dying. He said, Father, forgive them. He could have been angry. He could have been frustrated. He could have been enough to spout off as the other other two ones on either side of him were. That was common. Those who were being crucified and killed, they don't necessarily have great things to say about their captors and those who are executing them, right? But as Jesus hung there, he said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they're doing. This past week, there was a great example of this. If you've been following the news at all, there was a woman going into another house that she thought was her own house and, and killing somebody in the house. I, don't want, I want to forgive her. I want her to know that I love her, that I don't hold her responsible, that I want her to know that it's going to be okay. And he came down out of that witness stand and embraced that woman. If you saw the video of that this week, you couldn't help but be in tears as you heard his story from the witness stand, as you saw her, and everybody in the whole courtroom was just bawling as he said, I forgive you. It doesn't matter. I know that you killed my brother, and we're going to miss him, but I forgive you. That's powerful a powerful witness, a powerful testimony of love, being able, and not not love that comes naturally, but love that comes through Christ. A love that comes only through Christ and that power, that strength that's there, that's within us to be able to forgive. Even when we've been wronged. Somebody said something, done something, cut you off in traffic. There's a guy who rides around here. He's in a Blue Mitsubishi come over and bang on your window if he thinks you're getting too close even though you're like Ford window I wasn't doing anything wrong why should I why should I forgive him? he just asked forgiveness of me right It's not about the asking of forgiveness it's the giving of forgiveness that heals your heart see the giving of forgiveness even when it's not asked for the giving of forgiveness even when that person doesn't deserve it is such a picture of what God did for us. God forgave us 2,000 years ago. He forgave me 2,000 years ago before I could ever sinned my first time, before I could ever ask for forgiveness. He had already done it. Think about that. The giving of forgiveness is not the, it's not the asking and then the giving. The giving of forgiveness is giving it even when it's not asked for. Who's that person in your mind right now that you need to forgive? Who's that person that you need to say, God, help me to give offer forgiveness? And whether you call them and let them know that you're offering forgiveness or not, in your heart, you're offering it. In fact, I encourage you, that person, whoever it is that's in your mind right now, write out a card, write out a note card, and let them know that you're forgiving him. They may have no clue they've offended you. I had no clue I defended a holy God. I had no clue until it was revealed to me what I'd done. Then, oh my goodness, God, I need your forgiveness. He says, no problem, I've already given it to you. What? Now, I didn't fully understand that when I became a believer. I didn't understand that when I asked Jesus into my life to become my Savior. I didn't understand that. But later on in my walk, as I grew in as as my, my faith, and I came to understand that God had already forgiven me before I ever came to Him. That blew me away. See, that's what Paul is saying here. You let forgiveness rule the day. If you want to serve, learn to serve one another, how do you serve them? By forgiving them. How do you serve them? By forgiving them. even? If so we pursue Christ-like humility. We for- let others others. Right? Again, don't look out for number one because you know what? I look out for number two. I look out for my number two. The law is summed up in these two phrases, love God and love others. You love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. He's my number one. Then I love my neighbors as myself. They're my number two. You sum them up, and those things sum up the whole law together. So we are constantly bombarded with things like, if you don't look out for yourselves, no one else will, right? If you don't look out for yourself, no one else is going to look out for you. But what if, what if, what if we did? What if I'm looking out for the needs of Karis first, or the needs of Mark first, or the needs of Dan first, or the needs of Sheila first, or the needs of Mary first? What if I'm looking out for your needs first and trying to help you meet your needs? And I'm looking out for the needs of my neighbor and trying to help meet their needs. This past June, our needs. We had a a little fence area in the front of our house, and they knew we were going on vacation, and it was falling down. It was rotted. The posts were all broken. In fact, it was leaning. It was leaning into our garbage cans. We'd have to put our garbage cans right up against it to keep it from falling over. That was the only thing keeping our fence from falling down. And my neighbors... Knew we we're going on vacation. I said, "David, when are you going to fix your fence? I said, well, when we come back, I'll fix it. I don't have time right now. We're going on vacation in a couple weeks, and I've just got so much going on. I'll fix it when I get back." A couple days later, they came to us and said, "David, we're going to fix your fence." Shh. They came to me and said, "David, we're going to fix your fence for you." I said, no, you don't have to do that. No, we're going to fix your fence. Not only did I not really know how to fix my fence, to put it in a new gate, I could, I, could, I could nail things, but putting up a gate and trying to make a level, that was going to stretch me. I was going to have Mark come over and help Because I know he's retired. He doesn't have anything else going on. Grandkids to take care of, ice cream to make. <coughs> ice cream. Let us be a blessing to you. They go to another church here in town. They don't contribute to our church. We have a good relationship together. But they're letting the love of Christ flow through them and being a blessing to our family coming over and fixing our fence, putting in a new gate. So when we came back from vacation, it was done. It was beautiful. I said, thank you guys. Looking out for the needs of others. Now for them, that was something small. They knew how to do it. They had the time, energy. They're retired. They got nothing going on really in their lives except going camping, playing with the grandkids. No, they have other stuff going on, but they took time out of their days to come over and help us. What if we looked out for the needs of others in that way? What if we looked at our neighborhood around us and saw that as our ministry area, as our small community where God wants us to impact? Remember wherever you work, shop, eat, play, and live? Those people that God has put into your life, college students, your, your, your pod mates, your roommates, is, are your ministry, Those place, that place where you live, the neighborhood where you're around where your house is, view that as your ministry area, where God has placed you very strategically to be a blessing to others, to look out for the well-being of others, to learn to serve others. Imagine a faith family where we are constantly calling one another checking on one another, meeting the needs of one another. That's God's worldview, not the one the world says, look out for yourself because nobody else is going to. The worldview of God is we're going to be calling each other, checking on one another, and serving one another. And I know it's especially hard to do that with those who have wronged us or we viewed as wronged us, but remember we've we wronged God long before others have wronged us. C.S. Lewis describes a humble person this way. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be the, so- support, the sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always an intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. He will, th- this person, he will not be thinking about humility In fact, thinking about himself at all. That's a humble person. Someone who does not whose eyes do not point here first, whose eyes do not think about his own needs, but about the needs of others. They think about how I can pursue Christ-like humility in my life, I can, how I can become more like Christ. I can forgive those around me, and I can look after the well-being of others. How does that play out in today's life? How does that play out in real life today? How about when you're driving to work? How does that play out? In stop and go traffic. I'm not going to let that person in. Anybody else there? How dare they come up on side of me and try to cut in? Do you ever put on the brake and just back up and let them in? They have no clue that you're serving them and stopping an accident down the road. That you're helping with their attitude. That you're maybe teaching them. But also God's teaching you through it to, you can serve others in this way. How about in the checkout lane at King Supers or Safeway? That checkout or Walmart when there's only two checkout lanes open? How can you serve those around you there? How can you serve those who are coming in? Maybe I've, you've seen, we've all seen the videos on YouTube and Facebook and other places where you pay for the person's groceries behind you. What about if you were to take care of somebody and pay for some of their groceries or all of their groceries or pay for their gas at the gas pump how about if you were to let somebody in cut in front of you and you're in a hurry and they're obviously in a hurry and you let them get in front of you at the checkout lane when it always seems where that person checking you out who may be having a bad day and you ask him how can i pray for you how can i bless you today looking for those opportunities how about in dealing with your spouse and kids When home is a safe place, when we ought to be able to let our hair down and just be ourselves, how can we be a blessing and serve those in our homes who drive us the craziest? Giving your wife a little time off and taking the kids and grandkids and going. How can you be a blessing to your husband, letting him take his nap in the afternoon? How can you be a blessing to your kids, say, What's going on in your life? Let me help you with your homework. Let's let's go play a game. Let's turn off the football game. Let's go throw a football. How can you be a blessing? How can you serve at home? Sometimes that's the hardest place, isn't it? Because those people know you the best. We can all wear a nice mask when we come to church. We all wear a nice mask when we get together for game nights and other, other things that are going on. We have Bible studies here at church. We all wear that nice mask. But the people that live in your house know you the best. There's no getting away from them. They know exactly who you are. They know you not as well as God knows you, but they know you. What if we were to commit to be this way and to serve others? What if we were to commit ourselves about me and think about all those around? What if what would this world be like?